Part three, chapter six of Quo Vadis, a tale of the time of Nero. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Quo Vadis by Henrik Sienkiewicz, translated by Benyon and Malevsky. Part three, chapter six. People camped out in the magnificent gardens of Caesar, in the former gardens of Domitius and Agrippina, on the field of Mars, in the gardens of Pompey, Sallust, and Mycenas, they occupied the porticos, the ball-courts, the comfortable summer houses and sheds erected for wild beasts. Peacocks, flamingos, swans and ostriches, gazelles and antelopes from Africa, stags and deer which served to ornament the gardens, all fell under the knives of the mob. Victuals arrived from Ostium in such abundance that one could walk from one side of the Tiber to the other on a bridge of rafts and boats. Grain sold at the unprecedentedly low price of three sestertia. To the poor it was distributed gratis. Immense stores of wine, olives, and chestnuts were brought in. From the mountains sheep and cattle were driven daily into the city. Beggars, who before the fire hid themselves in the lanes of the Sabora in a starving condition, now lived at their ease. The fear of famine entirely vanished. But it was more difficult to banish murder, robbery, and all abuses. A vagrant life ensured impunity to malefactors, the more so that they called themselves the admirers of Caesar, lavishing their applause whenever he showed himself. When all authority was suspended, and there was not enough power to keep order in a city inhabited by the scum of the world, crimes were committed surpassing human imagination. Every night there were fights, murders, kidnapping of women and children. At the Porta Mugionis, where there was a station for the herds driven in from the Campania, there were daily affrays in which hundreds of people perished. Every morning the banks of the Tiber were covered with corpses which nobody carried away. These decayed quickly because of the heat, intensified by the fire, and filled the atmosphere with foul exhalations. Sickness broke out in the encampments, and the more timid foresaw a great epidemic. The city continued to burn. By the sixth day it at last reached the empty space on the Esquiline, where a great number of houses had purposely been demolished. Only then did the flames slacken. But the heaps of burning cinders produced so powerful a light that the people would not believe the calamity was not at an end. And indeed, on the seventh night, the fire burst out anew in the buildings belonging to Tigellinus. For lack of fuel it lasted only a short time, but burned houses collapsed in all directions, which in their fall threw up towers of flame and pillars of cinders. Slowly the glow from the burning began to darken. The sky after sunset ceased to be illuminated blood-red by the flames. Only during the night-time there would be seen upon the vast dark waste flickering bluish tongues proceeding from the piles of cinders. Of the fourteen divisions of Rome there were only four left, including those on the Trans-Tiber. All the others had been destroyed. When the heaps of cinders were at last reduced to ashes, one could see from the Tiber to the Esquiline an immense, gray, dead, and melancholy expanse, upon which stood rows of columns like so many gravestones in a cemetery. Among these columns crowds of gloomy people lurked during the daytime, some searching for valuables, others for the bones of those dear to them. In the night dogs howled above the ashes and ruins of their former abodes. 
caesar's bounty and assistance to the mob did not restrain them from pouring out their wrath in imprecations only the scum were contented the pickpockets thieves and homeless beggars who could eat enough drink and rob but people who had lost their near relatives and all their possessions could not be appeased by the opening of gardens nor by the distribution of grain nor by promises of games and gifts it was a too great and unprecedented calamity others in whom still glimmered a spark of love for their city and fatherland were reduced to despair at the news that the old name of rome was to disappear from the face of the earth and that caesar intended to raise upon its ashes a new city under the name of neropolis murmurs and threats increased daily in spite of the adulations of the augustales and the calumnies of tigellinus nero more impressed than any of the preceding caesars with the necessity of courting the favor of the populace saw with alarm that in the underhand death struggle which he was carrying on against the patricians and the senate he might lack support the augustales themselves were not less disturbed for any morning might bring destruction upon them tigellinus thought of drawing several legions from asia minor Vatinius, who was wont to smile even when he was slapped in the face, now lost his sense of humor. Vitellius lost his appetite. Others had taken counsel among themselves how to avert calamity. It was an open secret that in case of any outbreak which would remove Caesar, with the possible exception of Petronius, not a single Augustale would escape death. Nero's madness was ascribed to their influence, all the crimes he committed to their suggestion the hatred of them was almost stronger than that towards nero they now sought to find a means of exonerating themselves from the responsibility of the fire but in clearing themselves it was also necessary to clear caesar or nobody would believe that they were not the authors of the calamity tigellinus took counsel on this subject with domitius afer and even with seneca whom he detested poppaea too understood that the ruin of caesar meant also her own she had recourse to her confidants the jewish priests for some years it had been noised about that she acknowledged the faith of jehovah nero himself found methods frequently terrible and more frequently farcical he alternately fell into alarm and into puerile amusements above all he kept a never-ceasing outpouring of complaints on a certain time a consultation was held in the house of tiberius which had escaped the flames it was of long duration but fruitless petronius's advice was to leave the seat of troubles and depart for greece and thence to egypt and asia minor this voyage had been planned before why then defer it whilst there was so much sorrow and peril caesar accepted the suggestion eagerly but seneca after a moment of thought objected it is easy to go but the subsequent return will be difficult by hercules replied petronius we may return with the asiatic legions yea i will do so said caesar tigellinus objected he could not think of anything himself and had petronius's idea come into his head he would have unhesitatingly declared it the safest one but his chief eagerness was to prevent petronius from posing as the one man who could be successfully appealed to in an emergency listen to me o divine one he said this advice is ruinous ere thou canst reach ostia civil war will have broken out who knows whether one of the still living descendants of the divine augustus may not proclaim himself caesar and what then shall we do if the legions declare for him 
this we can do answered caesar we can see that there be no descendants of augustus there are not many of them now hence it will not be difficult to get rid of them this can be done but are they the only ones only recently as yesterday my people heard rumors in the crowd that thrasia ought to be caesar nero bit his lips after a moment's thought he raised his eyes and said insatiable and ungrateful they have plenty of grain and coal on which they can bake cakes what more do they want vengeance exclaimed tigellinus there was silence anew suddenly caesar rose raised his hand and began to declaim hearts call for vengeance and vengeance calls for sacrifice forgetting everything his face brightened he called out hand me a tablet and stylus so that i may write this verse lucan could never have composed one like it did you notice that i conceived it in the twinkling of an eye oh incomparable one cried several voices nero wrote down the verse and said yes vengeance wants a victim he cast a glance on those who surrounded him suppose we were to spread the news that vatinius commanded the burning of the city and deliver him to the furious people o oh, divinity who am i exclaimed vatinius true it is needful to have a more important victim what says vitellius vitellius grew pale but began to laugh my fat he said would be apt to start the fire again nero was thinking of something else he was mentally searching for a victim who could fully appease the fury of the people and he found him tigellinus he called after a while thou hast burned rome a shiver ran through the people present they comprehended that this time caesar was in earnest and that a moment pregnant with events was at hand the face of tigellinus wrinkled up like the jaws of a dog ready to bite i burned rome at thy command he snarled they glared at each other like two demons a silence followed so deep that the buzzing of flies could be heard through the hall tigellinus said nero dost thou love me thou knowest lord offer thyself up for me divine caesar answered tigellinus why dost thou give me the sweet draught which i cannot drink the rabble are murmuring and conspiring wouldst thou that the praetorians should also rise the implied menace chilled the hearts of all present tigellinus was the prefect of the praetorians behind his words lay a threat nero himself understood this his face paled while this was going on epaphroditus caesar's freedman entered and made known that the divine augusta wished to see tigellinus as she was holding audience with people whom the prefect ought to hear tigellinus bowed to caesar and left with a calm but contemptuous face they had wished to strike him and he had shown his teeth he had given them to understand who he was knowing the pusillanimity of nero he was sure that the ruler of the world would never dare to lift up his hand against him nero sat for a while in silence then seeing that some answer was expected from him he said i have nourished a serpent in my bosom petronius shrugged his shoulders as much as to say that it was easy to pluck off the head of such a serpent what sayest thou speak advise cried nero who observed the gesture in thee alone can i trust for thou hast more understanding than all of them and thou lovest me 
petronius had already on his lips appoint me prefect and i will deliver tigellinus to the people and pacify them in a day but his natural indolence prevailed to be prefect meant to bear on his shoulders caesar's person and a thousand public affairs why take upon himself such labor was it not preferable to read poetry in a spacious library and look on vases and statues besides holding the divine body of eunice on his lap and arranging her golden hair with his fingers and pressing his mouth to her coral lips then he said i counsel the journey to achaea ah replied nero i expected something better from thee the senate detests me who will guarantee if i depart that it will not revolt against me and proclaim someone else caesar the people were formerly loyal but now they will follow the senate by hades i wish that the people and the senate had one head allow me to tell thee o divine one that if thou desirest to preserve rome thou must needs preserve a few romans also returned petronius smilingly but nero renewed his complaints what are rome and the romans to me in achaea i should be obeyed here nothing but treason surrounds me all abandon me ye yourselves are getting ready for treason i know it i know you do not even think what future ages will say of you if you forsake such an artist as i am he struck his forehead suddenly and cried aloud true in the midst of these troubles even i myself had forgotten who i am he turned a radiant face upon petronius petronius said he the people murmur but if i take the lute and go with it to the field of mars if i sing to them that song which i sang to you at the conflagration dost thou think that i will not move them with my song as orpheus once moved wild beasts Tullius Senecio, impatient to return to his slave-women, who had just arrived from Antium, now broke in. "'Beyond doubt, Caesar, if they permitted thee to begin—' "'Let us go to Greece!' cried Nero, with displeasure. At that moment Poppaea entered. With her was Tigellinus. The eyes of the people present turned involuntarily to him, for never had a victor entered the capital with such pride as his when he stood before Caesar. He began to speak slowly and impressively, his voice sounding like the clang of iron. Hear me, O Caesar, for I can tell thee what I have found. The people want vengeance and victims, not one victim, but hundreds and thousands. Hast thou, O Lord, heard of Christus, who was crucified by Pontius Pilate? Knowest thou of the Christians? Have I not told thee of their crimes and their abominable customs, of their prophecies that fire would bring about the end of the world? The people hate and suspect them. Nobody has ever seen them in the sanctuaries, for they consider our gods as evil spirits. Thou dost not have them in the circus, for they abominate games and races. Never have the hands of a Christian applauded thee, never has any one of them recognized thee as a god. They are the enemies of the human race the enemies of the city and of thee the people murmur against thee thou hast ordered the burning of rome not i the people are thirsting for vengeance let them have it the people are thirsting for blood and games let them have them the people suspect thee let their suspicion be averted elsewhere 
nero at first listened with amazement but as tigellinus progressed his actor's face changed and assumed a look of anger of sorrow of sympathy and of indignation suddenly he stood up threw down his toga which fell at his feet raised both hands and remained in that attitude for a while at last he exclaimed in the voice of a tragedian zeus apollo hera athena persephone and all ye immortal gods why did ye not come to our assistance what has this unfortunate city done to those cruel people that they so inhumanly burned it they are the enemies of mankind and of thee said poppaea and others began to cry deliver a sentence punish the incendiaries the very gods cry for vengeance nero sat down sank his head on his breast and was silent again as though the wickedness he had heard stunned him but after a little he shook his head and said what punishment and what tortures should be meted out for such a crime but the gods will inspire me assisted by the power of tartarus i will give my poor people such spectacles that for ages they will remember me with gratitude the brow of Petronius was suddenly clouded. He thought of the peril hanging over Lygia and Vinitius, whom he loved more than he did the rest of that strange people whose doctrines he rejected, but of whose innocence he was convinced. He also thought of the bloody orgies which would soon take place, against which his aesthetic sense revolted. But above all he said to himself, I must save Vinitius, who will go mad if that maiden perishes this thought outweighed all others petronius fully understood that he was attempting something far more perilous than anything he had yet gone through nevertheless he began to speak freely and carelessly as was his custom when criticizing and ridiculing subjects insufficiently aesthetic with caesar and the augustales now ye have at last found victims well then ye may send them to the circus or may array them in tunics of torture but hear me ye have authority ye have praetorians ye have power be therefore candid at least when no one is in hearing distance deceive the people but deceive not yourselves give the christians to the mob condemn them to whatever torture you please but have courage to acknowledge to yourselves that they did not burn rome fie upon you ye call me the arbiter of elegance as such i declare to you that i cannot stomach bad comedies fie how all this brings to mind the theatrical booths near the ass's gate where actors play the parts of gods and kings to amuse the gaping suburban mobs and when the play is over wash their onions down with sour wine or submit to a clubbing be ye in reality kings and queens for ye are entitled to the honour o oh, caesar thou hast warningly held before us the verdict of the future but remember that the future will also pronounce judgment against thee by the goddess clio nero ruler of the world nero a god burned rome for he was as powerful on earth as zeus in olympus nero a poet loved poetry so much that to it he sacrificed his country from the beginning of the world nobody ever did the like no one ever ventured to do the like i conjure you in the name of the nine muses do not renounce such glory for thy songs will resound to the end of the ages compared with thee what will priam be what will agamemnon be 
what achilles nay the very gods themselves it matters not whether the burning of rome was a good thing if it was great and out of the common for this reason i tell thee that the people will not raise their hands against thee have courage keep thyself from acts unbecoming to thee for this only canst thou fear that future ages will be able to say nero burned rome but being a pusillanimous caesar and a small-souled poet he denied the great act out of fear and cast the guilt on the innocent the words of petronius made their wonted powerful impression on nero nevertheless petronius was not deceived as to the fact that his speech was a heroic measure if fortunate it might save the christians but it was more likely to hurl himself to destruction however he did not hesitate at any hazard when the matter concerned vinitius whom he loved the die is cast he said to himself we shall see how far the fear of death outweighs in the ape his love of glory in his soul petronius scarcely dared to doubt that fear would gain the day silence followed his words poppaea and all present looked in nero's eyes as in a rainbow he pursed up his lips so that they were drawn up to the very nostrils as he was accustomed to do whenever he knew not what to say at last wretchedness and anxiety were visible on his face lord cried tigellinus when he saw this permit me to go for when any one seeks to expose thy person to destruction and besides calls thee a pusillanimous caesar and a small-souled poet an incendiary and a comedian my ears cannot suffer such words i have lost thought petronius but turning toward tigellinus he measured him with his eyes in which shone the contempt natural to a great and elegant personage contemplating a knave then he said tigellinus it was thee i called a comedian for even now thou art one and wherefore because i do not care to listen to thy reproaches it is because thou art now professing boundless love for caesar yet a moment ago thou didst threaten him with the praetorians all of us understood this as well as he tigellinus had not expected that petronius would be so bold as to throw such a cast of the dice on the table he turned pale lost his head and became speechless but this was the last victory of the arbiter of elegance over his rival at that moment poppaea broke in lord how canst thou permit that such a thought should pass the head of anybody and especially that anybody should have the temerity to speak it aloud in thy presence punish the insolent one cried vitellius nero again raised his lips to his nostrils turning toward petronius his near-sighted glassy eyes he said is this the way that thou rewardest me for the friendship which i had for thee if i am mistaken point out my mistake answered petronius but know that i only speak that which my love for thee dictates punish the insolent one repeated vitellius do so echoed several voices throughout the hall there was a murmur and stir for every one began to draw away from petronius even tullius senecio his once steadfast friend and young nerva who up to this hour had shown him the greatest affection withdrew soon petronius was left alone on the left side of the hall with a smile on his face he arranged the folds of his robe and awaited what caesar might say or do caesar said ye wish me to punish him he is my companion and friend though he has wounded my heart let him know that this heart has for its friends only forgiveness i have lost i am ruined thought petronius 
Caesar rose. The conference was at an end. End of Part 3 Chapter 6